Good morning and welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. It's a delight to be here with you this morning. Please stand for the call to worship. Let us worship God who has done great things. Let us worship God who has caused streams of mercy to flow in the wasteland. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we are delighted to be in the house of the Lord this morning with you. Despite the busyness of our lives, help our minds and our hearts to be here this morning. Help us this, for this to be an hour of worship and praise and an hour of refresh and renew for our bodies. We pray this in the Lord's name. Amen.
Amen. What a joy to come together and to lift our voices in praise to God. So glad that you are here today. We welcome returning and new academy and uh, college students. We want to give you a moment to uh, say a word of greeting to each other. So uh, share a word of peace, a word of uh, greeting. Maybe introduce yourself to someone that uh, you haven't met yet. It is great to see you as we gather for worship on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. And uh, there are a lot of things, uh, inserts in the bulletin, about ways you can be involved in ministry and ways in which the church uh, can minister to you. Uh, I suspect if you're a student and you're coming here, you probably have been involved in some way in uh, the local church where you were raised and you've attended. And you may be wondering if there's a place where you can serve. As you can see, there are lots of places where you uh, can serve. Uh, we, we love having college students connect with the, us as a church as we worship on Sunday mornings, but also other times of the week as we share life and we share Christ with each other. So you see the inserts there. You can fill those out, drop in the offering plate in a few moments or in the box in the back. or send, You can send it through uh, the post, college post office to the church, and uh, we'll be in touch with you about uh, your interest in, in doing some ministry. and Filling out the form doesn't obligate you, but it does simply give us an opportunity to talk with you about uh, your potential involvement. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. Uh, we certainly want to be continue praying for situations related to the world and us locally. A couple of things I do want to add to this. I want to pray for Mike Walters and his family. One of his sisters died uh, early Friday morning, and uh, I believe, as far as he knew at the time, the service probably... Well, it might be today, uh, this weekend in Ohio. And uh, also yesterday morning, Margaret Wynn died after uh, a bit of a few months of illness this summer. And uh, we, uh, there's a celebration of her life and her faith and God in her life Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock here at the church. So uh, I just want to make you aware of that, the memorial service for Margaret Wynn, Tuesday morning, 11 o'clock here at the church. And I know we want to continue to pray for... Uh, friends and family of Margaret and and of Mike as well. This is also Christian Life Emphasis Week, and this is a time when uh, we want to think more intentionally about the desires, the dreams, the passions of our lives. And as we begin this new academic year, uh, to think intentionally about the path in which our life is headed, particularly as it relates to our relationship with God. Through the years, we've seen God move powerfully in these set-apart times. And, and we are convinced, and we've been praying, that God will continue to do that this year, through, uh, particularly through uh, our speaker, Dr. Jerry Walls. Uh, Dr. Walls has taught at Asbury Theological Seminary, currently teaches at Houston Baptist University. His primary teaching focus is philosophy of religion, ethics, and Christian apologetics. He has authored, co-authored, edited, or co-edited a dozen books, over 80 articles and reviews. Among the books uh, that he has written is a trilogy on the afterlife. Uh, The three volumes of this are Hell, the Logic of Damnation, Heaven, the Logic of Eternal Joy, and Purgatory, the Logic of Total Transformation. He's appeared several times as a guest on National Public Radio, as a guest on the television show Faith Under Fire, and he was recently awarded a research fellowship by the Center for Philosophy of Religion at University of Notre Dame. He has a Master's degree of Divinity degree from Princeton Theological Seminary, a Master of Sacred Theology from Yale Divinity School, and a Ph.D. in Philosophy from Notre Dame. But all of that began here. He is a 1977 graduate of Houghton College, and we are excited to welcome him back and excited about the ministry that God has for us through him as he shares this morning and throughout this week. You'll notice the schedule on the back side of the bulletin. All the rest of the gatherings will be in Wesley Chapel on the college campus uh, tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning. 
And we cover your prayers as together we, uh, we pray for God to do something special for us and to help us to begin this year focused entirely and completely upon him. It is because God rejoices over us that we can come in honest confession of our sins to him and know that he hears us and forgives us. So join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Almighty God, we confess that we are often swept up in the tide of our generation. We have failed in our calling to be your holy people, a people set apart for your divine purposes. We live more in apathy born of fatalism than in passion born of hope. We are moved more by private ambition than by social justice. 
We dream more of privilege and benefits than of service and sacrifice. We try to speak in your name without relinquishing our glories, without nourishing our souls, without relying wholly on your grace. Help us to make room in our hearts and lives for you. Forgive us, revive us, and reshape us in your image. The Old Testament scripture reading this morning can be found in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward, please stand for the singing of the doxology. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for all the ways that you bless our lives. Even through the suffering, you bring good things. You help us to recognize the goodness in all things. Let this moment be a time to give back and let our symbol of um, monetary gifts be a symbol of our deepest gratitude to you. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen.
It is an awesome thing to know that the Almighty God calls us into His presence. And He invites us to to pour out the burdens of our hearts to Him. We have the opportunity now to, to pray together as one voice. As we offer our prayers, if you would like to come and kneel at the altar rail to use this as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Father, in the stillness of this moment, we acknowledge that you are the great God who created us and loves us and who calls us to yourself. We come today knowing our sin, our struggles, our burdens. We lay them before you. Hear our prayers. Father, we pour out to you the burdens that we feel for people around us. For people in this world who are facing numerous kinds of struggles. A world that is often characterized by pain and turmoil and violence and death. We pray for peace. We pray for people who suffer because they do not have adequate water and adequate food. And we pray that you will give them food and drink. We pray for people who live in constant fear for their lives. People who have been made slaves because of the greed and the lust for power. That is so prevalent in our world. And we pray particularly for a world in which children and women are often most vulnerable. We ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will set the captives free. You will give nourishment to starving and hungry, thirsty people. That you will create safety for all who are threatened, that you will release the power of your spirit on our world and that you will help us to be courageous enough to be agents of your peace and agents of your mercy and agents of your rescue. Father, we pray for those among us here who are suffering. And we pray for your healing in their lives. We pray that you will comfort all who are grieving and we think especially of Mike and his family and all of the friends and loved ones of Margaret. We ask for the comforting presence of your spirit in grief. Father, we pray your presence in our homes and in our places of employment, everywhere that the common experiences of life take us. Help us to see you there. 
And we pray that as we begin this academic year, that you will pour out your spirit upon the college and the academy and the public schools around us, that there will be a new spirit of learning and of a desire to know you. We pray that this week will be a special time for, for drawing us to yourself and filling us with a new passion for you. And we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon your servant who's come to speak to us. And we ask that as he speaks your word, that we will hear and that we'll see and that we will have a spirit of openness that you might transform us more and more into the image of Christ as you created us to be. Father, we offer our prayers through the name and the power of Christ, the one who came as a baby, born into this world, the one who went to the cross to die for the sins of the world, and the one who ascended to be with you, praying for all of us and who has promised to come back to take us to be where he is. And the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The New Testament reading this morning is from Acts 21, verses 37 through um, chapter 22, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them all into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. This is the word of the Lord.
may be seated. It is an honor and a delight to be with you in Houghton, New York this day and for this week of Christian Life Emphasis Week. As Wes told you, I am a proud alumnus of Houghton College, class of 1977. I asked the first two services if any of my professors were there. Now, someone asked that again. Any of my former professors here today? No, still not. Okay. Well, they're rumored to be about. At any rate... Uh, greetings to, to all of my former professors. Indeed, I had a marvelous experience here, got a great education, and got uh, set on fire for the kind of stuff that I've spent the rest of my life doing ever since. So, thank you, Houghton College. All right, I'm going to talk this week. My theme for the series of sermons I'm going to be giving is the story of our lives. The story of our lives. And I begin with the obvious observation one of the very best ways to describe a human life is simply by telling a story. In fact, our lives, my life, your life, are stories that are still being told, that are still unfolding. Chapters have already been written, but there are chapters yet to be written. And when you first get to know someone, you ask their story. Tell me where you're from. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And so on. I want to explore this theme of story this week by considering a model Christian, namely the Apostle Paul. I want to look at his story as a way of understanding our own stories more deeply and helping us think about how we would like our stories to continue to unfold. Now, Paul's story is told in some detail in the book of Acts, and he also gives us various autobiographical glimpses in some of his other epistles. So here are the seven things I'm going to be talking about this week. First of all, this morning, I'm going to talk about the past from which he came. Then I'm going to tonight talk about the big turning point that gave his story direction. Next, I'm going to talk about Paul's all-or-nothing resurrection faith. Next, life in the resurrection spirit. Then I'm going to talk about sex, fornication, and resurrection. Then I'm going to talk about the great adventure story he lived in following Jesus. And I will conclude with the end that defined the man. So let's start with the very first mention of Paul in the Bible where his story begins in the New Testament. And it's the end of Acts chapter 7 verse 58. And there we read, meanwhile... The witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. A couple of verses later we read, And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Now right away, just in reading those verses about Paul and his introduction into the story, you realize you're part of a larger story already. The question immediately rises, who's dying? Whose death is he witnessing? Why is this person dying? How is he dying? And most interestingly, why does Paul, Saul, approve of it? Why is he there giving his approval? That's interesting. We all witness and observe many things throughout our lives. We've been present And some of those things we approve of and some of those things we disapprove of. And what we approve of and disapprove of and why tells us a lot about us. Do you approve of this? Do you disapprove of this? Why? What's going on? Now, as we look more carefully at this story, we have to look back to see who it is. And the person that's dying is Stephen. And Stephen's story is interesting because he's the first in the list of the first group of deacons that were chosen by the church. And the description of Stephen is pretty impressive. Stephen is described as a man who's full of the Holy Spirit, full of the grace of God, 
A man through whom miracles were done, great signs were done in the presence of the people. And then you go on to read about his death. And it describes him as he was dying as having the face of an angel. And his dying words, reminiscent of Jesus' words, were, Father, do not hold this against them. So here's a man full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, through whom God is doing great wonders, who has the face of an angel who dies with a spirit of forgiveness for his murderers. And Paul, Saul, is watching this, witnessing it, and he totally approves of his death. He's glad. He's supporting it. He's completely on board with it. And we realize the reason he was dying was a particular kind of death. He was dying of stoning. He was dying of stoning. He was being stoned to death after giving a speech before the Jewish Sanhedrin court because he had been accused back in chapter 6, verse 14. His accusers said of Stephen, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. So that's the accusation against Stephen. This Jesus is going to tear down this place, this temple. He's going to change the customs of Moses. And Stephen then responds to this accusation. And he responds by telling a story. So Acts chapter 7, Stephen tells the larger story that's at stake here. The larger story that puts everything in context. And back in chapter 7 verse 2, he starts with the claim about the God of glory. The story is about a God of glory revealing himself, first of all, to Abraham and making promises to our father Abraham. And then he goes on to talk about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then he goes into considerable detail when he begins to talk about Moses. Because Moses, he says, is the person that God chose as the instrument to fulfill those promises originally given to our father Abraham. So starting with Abraham, the God of glory, speaks to Abraham, makes promises, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then he calls Moses. After several hundred years have passed since this initial promise to Abraham, God is now going to fulfill, finally, his promise to Abraham to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Stephen says, this is where he really gets to his point. You would have thought they would have embraced this man. You would have thought they would have welcomed him. You would have thought that the very one that God chose to lead them out to fulfill those promises given to Abraham, they would have rejoiced to see him. But no, it's not what happened at all. In fact, what happened was Moses in verse 35 of chapter 7, it was this Moses whom they rejected and said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? They rejected Moses. And then Stephen really gets to the point. He brings it really down close home. And he says, look, I'm now going to bring you into this story yourself. I've been telling this story about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And now let's bring you into the story. And in verse 51 and 52, he says this, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors did, the story he's been telling, Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. And now you have become his betrayers and his murderers. So he says, look, here's the big story. And now you're part of the story because you are doing exactly like your forefathers did who rejected Moses. The Moses who predicted a greater prophet would come. This prophet is Jesus. He's God's final definitive revelation. And you killed God's ultimate revelation, the righteous one. Now, here's the point I'm driving at here as I talk about Stephen bringing them into the story. Our past is much larger and more interesting than our personal past. You see? Stephen brought them into a story starting clear back with Abraham. That's part of their past. That's part of their history. And my point is this. Our story, too, is part of a larger story. 
And indeed, it's part of many stories. So if I were to ask you about yourself, where are you from? You might tell me your hometown. Well, your hometown was there before you were. It's probably a story, and lots of stories about your hometown, and you're part of that story. Where'd you go to high school? And I hear at Houghton College, this is not part of your story. And all of this goes back long before you and I were ever born. Houghton was here before I ever got here, long before, you know, even Professor Wolsey was here, you know. It's been around quite a while. And if you want to tell the larger story, you've got to go back to the Wesleyan Revival, back into the 18th century. And on and on and on, the story gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's part of bigger stories. So I talk about my own story. I grew up in a a little hamlet in southern Ohio called Knockamstiff. Knockamstiff, Ohio, I kid you not. Not only is there such a place, but it's become famous in literary circles recently. Thanks to a guy who lived up the road from me who's become a critically acclaimed fiction writer whose first book, published four or five years ago, was entitled, appropriately enough, Knockamstiff. He's been described as a godless Flannery O'Connor. So I warn you, if you pick it up, you're in for some rough stuff. Okay, that's part of my story. That's where I grew up, in Knockamstiff, Ohio. Part of my story is Houston Baptist University now, where I'm now teaching. Houghton, of course, is part of my story. Notre Dame is part of my story. So last night, when that interception was thrown right before halftime... Our hearts was, were broken. <laughs> right? Okay. We had a sinking feeling that we might not come back. We almost did, but not quite. You see, because I'm not part of this story. So your past is much larger and more interesting than your personal past. And indeed, the ultimate story of which you are a part is his story. God's story. The story of God acting in history to reveal himself. So listen, you're part of the creation story. You're part of the revelation story that started with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Jesus. You're part of the salvation story. Our story inevitably intersects with this story because you're a creature of God. You are made in his image. You are someone for whom Jesus died. And the ultimate thing will define who you are is how you react to this story. That's your story. That's the biggest and most interesting and important part about it. Now, this is where Stephen, as I say, drew his, his hearers in. And this is where Saul's story is also located. Now, let's take a quick look at Paul's personal past in the larger story. As we see in Acts 29.31, Paul was born in Tarsus. And emphasizes this is no ordinary city. Tarsus was a city of culture and education. It was no knock stiff. It was a serious place, you know, places where there was culture and music and art and learning. It's where Paul came from. He was born a Roman citizen, we're told, in chapter 22, verse 28. And the fact that he, a Jew, was born a Roman citizen suggests that his father or grandfather must have earned citizenship in some way by doing something, some kind of service for the Roman Empire so that he could be born a citizen, okay, which gave him great privilege, an opportunity that lots of people did not have. Not everybody was born a citizen. He was raised in Jerusalem, he tells us, in chapter 22, verse 3, the capital city. From a child, he says, he followed the Jewish faith. Chapter 26, verse 4. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, we learn in Philippians 3, 5. And of course, who came from the tribe of Benjamin? King Saul. And of course, this is Saul. So I guess lots of little boys from the tribe of Benjamin probably got the name Saul because of the king. He tells us in chapter 22 that he was thoroughly, strictly trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Kind of like, um, like going to Notre Dame and studying with Alvin Plantinga. You know, he's like a big star. He was like a big rabbi, a, you know, one of the leaders, one of the great men. That's who Saul studied with, a leader, a great intellectual leader in his faith. He was a Pharisee, we are told, in Acts chapter 26, verse 5, in Philippians 3, 5. A Pharisee, of course, means literally one who is separated. And the idea is 
Other people may conform to the world. Other people may accommodate, but not us. We're serious. We're strict. We take God's law seriously. And he goes on to describe himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And again, Hebrew is a stricter word than Jew because Hebrews spoke the Hebrew language in the synagogues, not the Greek language, which again was seen as a sign of accommodation. He went to a Hebrew-speaking synagogue. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Took this stuff with utter seriousness, you see. So that's why he describes himself in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, as extremely zealous. And he said, I was advancing beyond many people of my own age. So Paul was a rising star, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was extremely zealous. And here now this man, Stephen, is accused of following a Jesus who is apparently, allegedly going to destroy this place and change the customs of Moses, and we're not going to stand for this. And so Paul is willing to stand and watch with approval as Stephen, a man with the face of an angel who says, Father, forgive them, if his dying breath, he stands there approving of it. That explains it. That's, the, that's Paul's personal past, a larger story. Now, this also became, as Paul's story, as Saul became Paul and the story unfolded, this also became finally the thing of which Paul was most ashamed. Several times in his letters, Paul talks about his persecuting of the church. He mentions, uh, again, the fact that he stood at the feet of Stephen, stood when Stephen was stoned. And in Acts, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve the title because I persecuted the church. I don't deserve this title. Now, this is, this is part of the story. This is part of Paul's story, a past of which he was ashamed. But I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. But I got to say, my story has some things in it I'm ashamed of. I don't like to talk about. I'd prefer to leave them out. I'll talk to you about Knock'em Stiff. You want to hear that? I'll talk to you about my, my book projects, my new book projects I'm working on right now. I'll tell you about those. Um, but I don't like to talk about the fact that I'm a divorced man. I, I, I wish I could stand here in front of you today and say, I'm happily married to the woman with whom I graduated from Houghton College. But I can't tell you that. I failed there. The choice was not mine to end the marriage, but nevertheless, in every failed marriage, as you well know, there's always plenty of blame. And I'm sure I had some blame. I failed there. I would like to leave that out. But it's part of the story. It's part of my story. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 10, after saying, I'm the least of the apostles, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And here's what I'm driving at. I don't know what your past is that you're ashamed of. I don't know where you failed. I don't know what has happened to you that you may be tempted to say, can God still use me? Can you still use me? But here's the point. The larger story, the story of your past is much larger and more interesting, more powerful and more significant than your personal past. And that is that Jesus died for you. And the story of God's grace and his ability to transform and redeem even our worst failures is a much more interesting and powerful story than the story of our failures. The story of his grace, the story of his power to forgive, to redeem, to heal, is a bigger, stronger, more powerful story than the story of our sin. I want to conclude with this observation. Ironically, 
Paul's worst sins, and this is always true, or invariably true, I think, his worst sins grew out of and came out of his greatest strengths. Paul's brilliant, highly educated, cultured, advantaged, passionate, had an extraordinary passionate intensity of spirit. All of which are great gifts. They're intrinsically good things. But our biggest and best gifts, when they are misused, always lead to our biggest, most serious sins. The higher the angel, the worse the demon. The greater the good, the greater the evil when that good goes astray and is misused. No past is beyond the reaches of grace. And again, here's the point. Those strengths which were used for Paul's biggest sins when given to Christ are what enabled him to do the extraordinary great good that he did. Everything from his education to his Roman citizenship, even to his zealous passion, all of these gifts of God, from God, and when given back to God, were used by God for enormous good. That's the part of the story we'll pick up and continue with tonight. As we ponder those words and Let God continue to speak to us. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing together hymn number 255. All my life long I have panted.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.